Hello to our dope village. This is Julie Foudy alongside my friend Lenny O. What's up, Len? What up, Julie? Julie. Yes. Guess what time it is. What time is it? It's World Cup time. Oh, yes, it is. And guess who's going to France for a month? I'm sorry. You want me to go to France for a month? Twist my arm. I'm leaving. I'm off to the airport. I'm leaving on a jet plane. I am off to France. I can't wait. Your flight is literally in what, like three hours? Yeah. I'm packing up. I'm zipping up. You might be hearing me zipping in this. <laughs> um, but I'm also pumped because we have four bonus episodes, this being one of them, coming out during the Women's World Cup. And our first one is on Ms. Tobin Heath. And the reason why I love the story about Tobin is she's still, even though she's a star on the U.S. team, she's a bit of a mystery on purpose. She doesn't love the spotlight. She doesn't want the attention. She seeks no external affirmation about her life or her play or anything. It's fascinating to me, especially given the modern day athlete who has to be, in one sense, really consumed with branding and marketing and all those things. So um, we... Of course, did an E60 profile on her for the World Cup. And when we do E60 stories, as you know, Lynn, they are very long interviews and very detailed. And so much of it was on the cutting room floor. I could not live with myself if that was going to be the case. So we went to E60 and said, hey, what if we made a podcast of this and did an unredacted version? And that's what it is. So it's less of a podcast it's more of an interview because why is that, Lynn? Explain that. Well, when you're doing a TV interview, it's really important that the reporter not talk over the interview subject. <laughs> All podcast listeners are like, thank God, Julie won't be interrupting anymore. All I hear, though, people are demanding more Julie Foudy. So it might be it might sound a little strange because people people love you, Julie. They do. So I'm not interrupting. And, uh, and I, and you literally, because the editors don't like it when you jump on and step on, they call it. Julie, can you set the scene for folks as far as what this E60 interview looked like? There is a large party of people in one room in a small space. And so you have camera and we have three cameras. You have my awesome producer, um, Jen Carson, who did the piece with me who worked her tail off on this. So we spent a couple in a couple different locations. One at her house in Los Angeles is the first long chunky sit down um, that we cut down a bit. And then we also spent more time with her when the national team was playing in Los Angeles uh, for our second sit down. And for those of you who don't know who Tobin Heath is, she is a three-time national champion from, she played at the University of North Carolina. She won two in WSL, that's our professional league championships with the Portland Thorns. She's a two-time Olympic gold medalist. She also is a World Cup champion. Yes, she was on that 2015 team. So, are you ready, party people? Get comfortable listening. It's Tobin Heath. Hey, thanks for tuning in. Today's podcast is supported by your financial ally, Ally Bank. Because if you're paying for a service, you want the best, right, Lynn? I agree, Julie. From hotels to restaurants to gyms, we research everything until we find the best of the best. Shouldn't we do the same with our banks? We tend to stay with whatever bank we've had forever, not questioning it, 
often putting up with subpar service and low rates. Ain't that the truth, but better is out there. Ally knows you deserve better, and their mission is to be just that. It's in the name. They're an ally for you. So with Ally, you'll get interest rates up to 20 times the national average and live customer care. And on average, this is an interesting fact, a sad fact. Women are paid 20% less than men and therefore have to be even smarter about where they put their money. Money means having options, options to start a business, buy a home, save for retirement. So things like interest and that 20 times the national average can really help when you do more with the money you have. When you call Ally, you can also chat with a real person 24-7, even on bank holidays and weekends. They won't try to confuse you with fancy jargon or surprise you with hidden fees. I can't stand those hidden fees. The team at Ally actually cares about you and your financial well-being. All right. So as women, I think money is something we don't talk about enough and we should all be paying attention to our money and where we put it. It's called money mindfulness, party people. So go to ally.com to find out more. That's A-L-L-Y.com. Ally Bank, member FDIC. Kick back, relax, and unwind. Let's have a good time finding the joy in life. We're smiling so bright, talking and laughing combined. Are those shoes good? Okay, there. They won't care. They. Won't, I don't think they'll see those. I love that you go shoeless. <laughs> I am in my house. What's your deal with socks, by the way? What was that? I don't usually wear socks. Why Why didn't you like them? Socks? Yeah. Oh, I just don't really, if I'm chilling, I don't want to wear shoes. So I, I'm usually like in slides or something like that. Just an extra layer you don't need. Yeah. It's nonsense. I'm like kind of a hot body person, so. Just the. I, li- I don't like having like socks. You know, like people that wear like socks to bed, it's so weird to me. I'm like, how could you ever wear socks to bed? My body gets like that too. Yeah. Maybe it's a consequence of my age. I don't know. No, but also playing. I feel like after games and stuff, I'm just so hot. Well, I take an ice bath just to, like, cool down. doesn't work. Really? Yeah. So, uh, after games, you'll do an ice bath? Always. Always after games? Yeah. Just to cool down? So yeah. Or just because you're sore? It's, it's I mean, it works for both, but it's... You hated ice baths? Yeah. Yeah, yeah so, so check yeah. out that. I'm not like, I'm not that person. You know, like Carly takes an ice bath like religiously after every single practice and it's like the coldest thing ever. Um, she does like 15 minutes. Oh. Yeah, she's insane. But I don't do, I don't know, I don't do that. I just like to do it after a game. We weren't into that that much technology. Yeah, back no, then. Like, nowadays. Nowadays, you don't have a choice. <clears throat> Thank you for doing this, by the way. Of course. I know how much you love interviews. Yeah. I okay. promise to keep it like under five hours. <laughs> you ready? Oh, wow. That's a book. I know. I'm not kidding. No, I was kidding. <laughs> if we're here five hours, that means it's really, really good. <laughs> That's on you. Um, let's go back to your childhood, shall we? Yeah, sure. What I was it? What was your childhood like growing up? Um, fun. 
Yeah, I obviously grew up in a big family. Everything kind of revolved around family, which was always good. I'm fortunate for that. Um, as a soccer player, I mean, I grew up in Jersey, which is a hotbed for soccer. So I think a lot of, like, what happens in life is kind of based on your circumstances, you know. And f- I, I mean, you don't get to choose that. So I ended up living in a place that was kind of perfect for something that I loved. And I had a family that was kind of... I don't know what the word is. Like, I think supportive is the best word, but it's not, like, overly involved, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Well, (laughs) compared to today's standards, right? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, like, I don't know... um, I don't know how it is for other people, but, like, my parents were just, like, super chill about the whole thing, you know? They trusted the coaches. They trusted me. They never pushed me. They just loved me oh <laughs> yeah i don't know by today's standards that is abnormal yeah i think so wonderful to hear really yeah i think even at the time i never really thought it was like strange or different than what other people had but i think it's because you know i had three other siblings that were equally as awesome and as talented in whatever else they were doing. And it never really felt like, you know, all the attention was on me. You know, I was just running in my lane and my other siblings were running in theirs. And it was like, it was like trying to, I mean, be supportive to everyone, you know? What kind of kid were you growing up? Um, I was very independent. I was the kid that you know, my parents never really had to worry about because I was, you know, in the backyard building forts by myself. And I very much was able to entertain myself, always making up games, um, just wanting to be outside, kind of going like they wouldn't know really where I was or what I was doing, but they always knew I'd come back. <laughs> um, I think that's kind of the place that I fell in my family was was where they were kind of done, you know, that over parenting and they never really had to worry about me my mom always says you were just an easy kid so where do you fall with the siblings again two older sisters and then sisters um so we're all 22 months apart so we're all pretty tight and then my brother's six, six years younger than me so i i think for for my brother and i we both like play the baby in the family role really well and how different was your personality from theirs from my sisters, very different. Um, and then from my brother, we're pretty similar. We're super level-headed. Um, we're pretty patient people. And then my both my older sisters are fiery. They, you know, they have an opinion. They like things a certain way. They're very kind of type A and controlling. And they very much run run I think the family <laughs> and and definitely butt heads in the meantime and I think f- that played a big role in just kind of being a more quiet kid was because my house was was loud you know and I didn't feel the need to or that wasn't like my role was to kind of like make it any louder so everybody else was talking I didn't have to <laughs> how did sports play a role with the family I think sports were um, really important. And I mean, 
my mom was a three. She played three sports in college. My dad. Um, Wait, she played three sports in college. Yeah, yeah. not in high school. In college. Oh. Yeah, yeah. She's Can a get mom. Actually, my mom. You, Toby. Yeah, my mom's a badass athlete, and and so is my dad too. To be honest, um, which is funny because then you would think that they would have like pushed me really hard or something, but they just have this desire. Like they love to play sports they love to kind of be outside and I think they were like both really gifted like that so it came really natural it's not like they had this like incredible like drive you know and especially like my mom at the time as a woman like you didn't really have any goals you know as an athlete um but I think if my mom was me living this time like she probably would have been pretty badass (laughs) Did she play soccer or did dad? Like, no, what was your interest? no, no soccer in my family whatsoever. So my dad's side of the family is all tennis. Um, my grandpa is actually in um, the New England Tennis Hall of Fame. Um, so that whole side of the family is obsessed with tennis. And, you know, we all grew up playing in the summertime. And I think if if I had chosen tennis, you know, I think I would have done pretty well. Um but I, it wasn't even a thought because I love soccer so much. Um, I think also a lot more people would have been involved if I had played tennis. Yeah, tennis is hard, too, because it's so individual. isolated. Individual. Yeah, I think I like the team aspect, too. Yeah. I, I was just thinking I saw in my notes that there was this adorable picture that on your Instagram of you after a game with Dad. Oh, yeah. Somebody, a fan, took a picture of that, and somebody sent it to me. And he was like, oh, he was so happy. It was the cutest picture. Yeah. It was really neat. It was like one of those special moments that someone caught. Totally, that if you tried to capture, you'd never be able to. Yeah. There are a lot of athletes who are very consumed in social media and their branding and how they look and how they appear, but you don't seem to be bothered by any of that. (laughs) Where does that come from? Um, I think... Um, I don't know if I'm anti kind of like cell phone, but I think naturally I live in the present. You know, I'm so focused on, you know, what I'm doing now. And I think for social media, it kind of pulls in the other direction of that. And I don't know. It's just like it never really felt like it fit my personality. So you just didn't do it. <laughs> just by design or just indifference? Um, no, certain aspects of it I really love. You know, like I love the artistry of it. I love being able to tell your story. Um, I love when it's used in a positive and impactful way. You know, I love the fact that people can get closer to, you know, sports figures that they like. Because I think, I think that's huge. And I think it gives kind of peels back that that wall that existed before where you can actually um, be inspired in a different way. So so I love it, and for those reasons, I think for kind of the self-promotional look-at-me type of thing, it's just it's not really my jam. So that kind of stuff isn't what I'm interested in. You must have people, though, in your life, right, saying – but you should be doing more and this is the window and this is what you should be doing. Mm -hmm. What do you say to that? (laughs) Um, Yeah. 
I think I tell them I'll try to do better. <laughs> um, and then turn your phone off. <laughs> exactly. Um, no, I I understand that. I understand kind of the expectations of athletes and social medias and the um, different types of opportunities that come with that. Um, so I'm I'm not oblivious to to that. Um, but yeah, of course, everybody always wants something from you. I mean. It will always be like that. But I think if you continue to give up control over who you are or what you want to say, you don't really have anything left for yourself, you know? And I think I've been always pretty protective of that because at the end of the day, this is this is my life and my career, and I get to decide what that looks like. And for the people around me... Um, I get to choose that too. And I get to choose the voices that I do listen to and I don't listen to. And I think the ones that are far away that could be however many people that I don't know, I don't really care about. Who, who are the voices that you choose to tune out? Um, I guess everyone other than, you know, my close <laughs> friends and family and people that I've chosen to be around. I mean, everyone. <laughs> my little nest <laughs> okay if you had the choice to like lose your cell phone dump it you would dump it in a hot second oh totally right? yeah <laughs> yeah i think most people that are, try to get in touch with me think that i've dumped it thank you for responding to me about our starbucks order today <laughs> you're welcome that was really nice of you <laughs> um what what drives you what motivates you tobin That's such a funny question. Um, I think there's like a deep internal drive to kind of find my best. And um, I think that's in everything, like in, in life and stuff like that. But when it comes to soccer, I think it's just that idea that, I mean, Anson always called it this never-ending ascension. And when I was in school, I never really – I kind of struggled with that. I was like, oh, well, you're, oh, you're, eventually you're going to, you know, you, you won't be able to get any faster, you know, like, what does that mean? And I think as I've, I've gotten older, it's made more and more sense to me is that I want to be getting better and better. And especially in, in my career, there's so many aspects that you can get better at. And like, I've never felt like, like I've arrived at any point in my career and I think the game has this amazing way of humbling you every day to realize that that there's so much more that you could do. And it motivates me every single day to get better. I mean, I love training. I love going out to training. And I love that feeling like when, when you've gotten better, when you've done something, or even when you've failed because because you just know that there's that, that extra element that's still there to be found. What does that feel like when you failed? Um, I think you have those everyday small moments or failures where, you know, you did something that that you know that you, you could have done better. And, like, in moments that it mattered, you know, it's 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 very motivational, I think. And I always say, like, there's not a lot of times you get do-overs in life. But in football, you kind of do. 
And, and I think that's what's so beautiful about like having that next game or having that next practice, you know, is that in a way it's kind of like a mini do over. And I think people are always like, Oh, that was a great game or whatever. But I think if you look at it, not just as, as one 90 minute game, but if you kind of like look at your life as a game, it's like, did you win, you know, Mm -hmm. or like, how good were you? Mm -hmm. And I think that's more of like my thought and, and there's like this Steve Jobs quote that says like you can't like count the or you can't um uh you can't see like the steps like looking forward you can only see them looking back you know and I think I've like come to to my career where you know I've been able to now look back a little bit on it and see kind of the progression of everything and, and the times when, you know, it hasn't made the most sense. Looking back and being like, wow, that was like a beautiful process in my life. That's not easy to get to either. Have you always been that way? Because there's a lot of people who could have easily taken some of the turns. Maybe it's an injury and we'll get into all of this. Yeah. And and gone the other way. Like, why me? Why this time? Yeah. What? Yeah. Um... I think, I think I am super blessed and like lucky because I do think I was given like a great perspective of life at a young age and people around me at a young age that instilled really, really positive things in me and not just because of things that they said or whatever, but it was because of like the way that they lived their own lives. Um, so I do think I had that groundwork. Um, in me from a young age. And then I think you then choose what you build on top of that. Mm. And I think I've always tried to choose good things. And, you know, life isn't, isn't perfect, but I think in those hard moments when you still try to choose the hard thing, which is, is usually the right thing. Um, if you, if you kind of, if you try to do it, it, it helps, I think. And in, in those situations, like you're talking about where they kind of look like bad situations, you can always reframe a bad situation. What role does your faith play in your life? It's huge. Um, I think for a lot of people, a lot of people want to like talk about, you know, their faith or or not just their faith, maybe it's even like their work ethic. You know, they want to like show like, look how hard I'm working or say like, oh, I work really hard or same with their faith. Like, oh, this is what, what I'm doing. This is why I'm grounded and stuff like that. And I think my, my faith comes from this deep desire and love of God and people. And I don't think it's something that I have to go on top of a mountain and shout. I think it's something that's lived out in your daily decisions and practices. And I think faith and and sport have always intertwined for me because at the end of the day, it's so great to be, to give up control, which is hard as an athlete. And to say, my life isn't really mine. Mm. And I think with that comes a lot of freedom. Interesting. How does that, manifest itself and and give me an example like in your in the game or in your daily life um so for instance 
I mean, I don't really like talk that much about this kind of stuff, but like, I find like the soccer field to be like a place of thanks. So I think like while I'm out playing, like I love giving thanks. So like every time I step on the field, I say thanks. You know, like every time I have、uh, the opportunity to put on a jersey, I say thanks. Like I always find these quiet moments in in my sport and in. My practice to to give thanks because at the end of the day I'm incredibly grateful to be doing what I'm doing. I was just gonna say it's this incredible sense of gratitude,、right? yeah, for、definitely. what you've been given. And I and I find it interesting your point where you said you know there's a lot of people who want to shout it out their faith or their work or whatever it is. I mean this is a theme with a lot of your life is that you don't. Again, going back to that branding question, right? <laughs> you don't feel that need at all, in in a sense of having to to get affirmation from the outside. Where do you think that comes from? Um, I think there is like a tremendous amount of self belief that that it comes from. Um. And then I think it, it's also kind of what you put into the world and what you you get from it. So like, I always say that words create worlds. So like, you know, what you speak into it, not just yourself, but what you speak into other people really matter. So so even when we talk about、um, kind of the. Idea of being able to reframe things. I don't want. I want to speak life into things and life into myself. So if it's if it's a hard moment or a hard time, like I have a decision on what kind of words and what kind of attitude I want to take in it. And、um, I mean, it's easier said than done, but I'm conscious of that. I'm conscious of the things I say and the things that I do. What keeps you up at night? Nothing. I sleep so well. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm I'm serious about that. Like, I I have this thing where I'm like, I think I live days like so hard that then like when my head hits the pillow, it just like lights out because sleeping has always just been something. Like I've heard people, I mean, especially in our profession, like people struggle a lot with sleep, and I just never have. Like I've always had this feeling of like, oh, I just killed that day and just like crashed. <laughs> Maybe it's the seven hundred miles you put in that game. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I also don't go to bed typically until like I'm a night owl. So like, I feel like I kind of live out the day until like there's nothing left, and then it's just like I pass out. I don't feel like I ever get in bed before like, like it's where it's a question of whether I'm going to sleep or not. It's just like I get in bed and it's sleep. <laughs> Good lord, what time is that? Uh, it's definitely after midnight. Yeah. Yeah, I'm already a pumpkin by then. <laughs> I mean, things might change, but where are you most at peace?、Um, I always say that I find a tremendous amount of peace on a soccer field.、Um, I think probably because it's where I've suffered the most in my life, in a way, but that I've also had the biggest joys.、Um, I think. 
for people, they could find it like in, in their home, you know, and for me, like my home kind of is on a field. Um, so I think I find a lot of peace there because there's so much familiarity that's there. Um, yeah. Definitely. Speaking of that familiarity, who are you closest with on the team? Man, I would say that I'm so fortunate because I've played with so many incredible people. And, and you know that when you've been on the team for so long, you go through these kind of cycles of, of different people that are coming in and out of your life. And I've been so lucky because I've been able to do life with so many people. I mean, um, for instance, we had Alyssa Nair out on the field today. And I've known Alyssa since I was 13 years old. And we've grown up together and we're still on this journey together. You know, I was out here in Hermosa Beach with Kelly O'Hara living at Abby Wambach's as, as kids, you know, doing the same thing we're doing now, just trying to get better, um, not knowing that, you know, 10 years later or whatever, we'd still be on the same journey together on the same kind of life journey. And I think people like come in and out of your life through football and it's really beautiful because I, I say that these relationships are, are powerful relationships because the things that you go through as a team and and the things that you go through with winning and losing, with injuries, with um, with changes in life, you know, with getting older, um, it's it's just an incredible thing to be able to live with people and for the people that have been on the team for the people that are still on the team now and for the people that I played with before it's it's been really cool to have done life in this really unique way with people it's definitely a sisterhood isn't it it is a sisterhood but it's like even more than that you know because it's i mean you know i have two sisters that like are i absolutely love them like i they're my blood you know but they will never go through the things that i've I've gone through with my teammates. What is your most diehard fan not know about you? Oh, huh. Mm, I might have stumped you, huh? Great question. I feel like the fandom, like the women's soccer fandom, really like dig deep, which is kind of incredible. Because <laughs> it's like a community of people. Like a really, I think for sports fans in general, I think it's a really tight-knit community. I think it's actually really powerful and kind of inspiring in a lot of ways because like I love the idea of community. And I think we develop really beautiful communities. Um, and that was kind of a side note from what you asked. But um, <laughs> my diehard fan... Um, what don't they know about me? I don't know. How about this? What do you want the world to understand about you? I don't want the world to understand me. <laughs> I don't even understand myself. <laughs> what do you fear, if anything, in life? I think I, I don't know. I think I would like fear like having some kind of regret. Like, and, and I don't think this is anything career soccer wise because I could walk out 
the door right now if it was over and I wouldn't have any of that. I think it's more so in life. And I think it's because sometimes this job and this sport, it feels selfish. You know, it feels, I, I, I constantly have to ask myself, like, if, is this, am I doing this? Why am I doing this? You know? And I feel like, like I miss, you know, for instance, like my sister's due date is, is today, mm. you know, and I miss my family. You know, I, I feel like if I was to lose like someone in my family now, I would regret not having spent more time with them because I was doing this. And I think that's really hard because there's like such like there's this drive, this determination, you know, to find your best and to be your best. But there's a cost to it, mm-hmm. you know, and sometimes I do feel selfish and I do feel like sometimes I'm like, wow, like I have this awesome life where where I'm um, able to do something that I love, you know, and it's hard for me then to be like, you know, life's hard for people. And I'm not saying that, you know, this career and, and everything that comes along with it is easy. It's not, it's, it's really, really hard. But sometimes I think like, why was I given this, you know? And, and I think that's, that's when, that's when I, I start remembering, like I have been given this. So like, what am I going to do with it? You know, am I going to get everything out of it? Am I, am I going to put everything into it? Cause if I'm not going to put everything into it, I, I can't do it, you know? And, and it is something that requires everything. So I think if I was to have any regrets, it would just be time, time that maybe could have been a little bit different. And I, I miss my family. I really do. Yeah. It's hard to the cost side of the equation. Mm-hmm. What do the, what do they say when you bring up things like this? Um, like to be honest, my family's not hard on me and they're totally understanding and supportive. Um, I think sometimes, and I think this comes back to like the interesting side of things is that, you know, my family was supportive, but I don't think my family really knows how hard this job is and like how kind of like serious it is because they, they think things come like really easy to me. (laughs) And to be honest, I think it's because of the way that I, I make things look. Um, but it's, it's hard because they still see it as like, you know, something that I love to do that. And I've always been on this team, you know, since, they've since I've gotten to this level I've been on this team so for them it's just like their expectation that it's just like oh she's on this team and it's like she's always been on the team and like you know it's just going to be like another world championship and you know go Tobin and and I think for them because everything has just because if you look at it from the outside you know you, you don't and I don't bring like a lot of I don't carry like a lot of stress around so it's not like I'm I'm calling them saying, oh, this is so hard, you know? Um, but I, they've always been, I think, like, oh, you have a game? Well, well, why don't you just miss the game and, like, come to your nephew's 
birthday party, you know? Like, they've never understood, I think, the the kind of not being able to, to do certain things. I think they always kind of expect me to, and I do put in a good effort to always be there for big moments and stuff like that, but I think sometimes they think this comes very easy to me. Mm. What are some of your favorite things to do outside of soccer? Um, I'm definitely kind of a person that loves to do everything. If somebody was like, Hey, we're going to go like jump off this cliff. I'd be like, sweet. What time? You know, I'm just like, I very much want to experience life and experience life to the fullest. So, um, I mean, I love spending time with my friends. I love doing activities, you know, probably activities that I shouldn't be doing because I'm a professional athlete, but I love, you know, I love playing all sports and I love challenges. So if somebody's like, oh, come do this and I haven't done it before, I'm like, oh, I want to learn how to do that. You know, I don't think there's like enough time in this life to like learn all the things that I would want to do or get good at it. And I'm definitely like someone that very much gets into certain things and likes to learn certain things, you know, and I go through like different phases of like what, what I'm learning. Give me some phases. I went through, like, a chess phase where, like, I was, like, really playing, like, chess, like, all the time and stuff like that. Um, I go through different, like, sports. Like I said, I'm playing beach tennis um, now, which is really, really fun. Um, Let's see what else. Like, there's there's just, like, so many things, you know, any kind of, like, water sport – Um, if somebody's like, oh, let's go for a plunge and it's like freezing out, I'm like, yes, that's exactly what I was thinking, you know? So I feel like it's a really hard thing to answer because I'm just somebody that just kind of like loves life and loves experiencing it. So yeah, I I have noticed, however, that (laughs) top of your list, even though you were born and raised, of course, in Jersey, there's a lot of California activities on there. Some yeah, surfing. Yeah. You know, it's not solely done in California. Yeah, no, Jersey has good ways. Skateboarding. Yeah. You have you have that definite, that Cali vibe to you. Where does that come from? Yeah, I think it does come from, I, I enjoy action sports. I think I always did as a young age. You know, I was on rollerblades, skateboard, everything. Um I think it's also because, like, all that kind of came really natural to me. Like, I was really – I just kind of was good at anything that involved, you know, moving, like, my body around, to be honest. <laughs> like, I think sports came really natural to me. And and I think when you're kind of, like, naturally good at something, you kind of then want to just try everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I've also found, like, a lot of – freedom and rebellion in you know those types of sports too because i feel like it was like you know those were the sports that you know you were supposed to fall and it was supposed to hurt you know and stuff like that um so i think i like i like kind of that fear factor i was always kind of like this daredevil kid you know that would go straight down the mountain and I think I still have I still have that, even though like I feel like as an adult you kind of get this weird voice in the back of your head that's like yes. that's like maybe you shouldn't do that. And I think that's precisely why I'm like, Yeah, I'm gonna do that because like I don't like having that voice. You know, I don't like like whoever like you're like, like shut up like whoever like gave that to people as adults, it was so lame, you know? <laughs> it was so late. Why do we have to have that voice? Yeah. They're like on the two shoulders. Yeah, I think like for me, like having like a childlike spirit is 
is something that like I always want to have. And I think trying new things and being curious is really childlike. And I think I, that's something that I've, I've wanted to continue to cultivate in my life. Where does the surfing come from? Where did you learn how to surf? I think it comes from like my deep love of the ocean. Like I'm obsessed with the ocean. I think it's the coolest place ever. It's just like so vast and just like incredible and beautiful. And it's like the feeling that I get by it is just, it's just so pure. And I do think there's just like tremendous healing found in the ocean. So I think I always was drawn to that. Um, and I grew up like on the ocean in Rhode Island with my family. So like I was very comfortable in the water. And I think when I came out to California and I experienced this surf culture, which I had never experienced before, I was like, wow, this is like so synced with, with my life and things that I enjoy doing. And I love this, like, again, I love this idea of community. And I feel like, uh, the surf community is a really beautiful picture of community. And, and so I think I'm, I'm really attracted to people that are like really passionate about things, um, in like a collective kind of powerful way. I love it. Um, probably why I love the U S women's national team. <laughs> it's a good community that, yeah, I, I understand couch surfing is also something that <laughs> you're proficient in. Yes. I, um, I, All I think this surfing. Yeah. I think this started because, um, uh, I, when I was like 13 years old, I started playing with the youth national teams, you know, and that means, you know, not being home, being dropped off at an airport, you know, being unfamiliar with who you're, who you're going to be rooming with. Um, and I think when it first started, it, it was really uncomfortable for me. You know, I love my family. I think I was very homesick, but obviously I had this desire to play soccer. So it, really pulled me away from my home and from my family. And, and the more that I did was away from home, the more it almost became natural. And now it's, it's kind of unnatural to be anywhere for a long period of time. And I think that's why I was comfortable bopping around through, through probably like my, my whole twenties, ever since after college, even in college, like I love communal living. I decided to live in the dorms, Throughout, I was obsessed with, you know, this idea that, that, like, there was always somebody up. There was always something going on, you know? Like, I love a lot of noise. Like, I love city life. I love, I love that idea that there's just this energy. And I think for me, I just found kind of traveling, staying with friends. I could sleep anywhere, be anywhere. I found, like, an incredible sense of freedom from that. And I also found, like, just, just like I, I think I felt comfortable like that, you know, and it wasn't until I started playing in the NWSL for Portland that I, I actually found a home in Portland. Um, obviously, it's more like a storage unit than a home, <laughs> but that's like adulting. And but I still feel like it's it's uncomfortable being somewhere for a long period of time. And staying somewhere unfamiliar is normal. That's interesting. So you actually feel uncomfortable when you're in one place for yeah. too long. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that will change when my life changes, but for now it's, it's how my life has been lived out. Coolest place you've ever been to. 
Um, I think because of like my love of Brazil, like I, I love Brazilian culture. So I think every time I'm there, like, I'm like, Oh, I just like love this place, you know? And I actually traveled there quite a bit with the youth national teams, but we hadn't really traveled there with the senior team that much. And then we traveled there a few years ago for the first time, um, in my senior career. And then, and then obviously we had the Olympics there, which I would like to forget about, but, but still, I love that country. What kind of player were you growing up? Um, I was just not able to be contained. I feel like I, I think I was just like trying everything, like wanting to, like I just was so attracted to like things that like look cool or look hard, looked hard or like making people look silly. You know, like that was what I enjoyed doing. You know, and that involved having the ball all the time and. My club coach always tells this story where, like, a parent came up to him and was like, you need to tell Tobin to pass the ball more. <laughs> and he was like, no, I don't. And, like, that's, like, kind of God, the people that I had. Him? Yeah, no, like, to be honest, it's like these are the people that I had, you know, in, in my life. is like that would be, like, the worst thing you could take away from a kid is, like, making them feel like, oh, you shouldn't be doing that, you know, like, because somebody else is feelings were hurt you know it's just i don't know it's just stop being so creative yeah exactly um i think that's why it kills me that that's kind of been taken from the game the creative aspect because i know that it very easily could have been taken away from me at a young age if i hadn't had the people in my life that believed no go make mistakes no go dribble the ball and try and dribble around everyone, you know, like, no, try something different. Like having that kind of encouragement. Um, yeah. I mean, it could have easily been taken from me. And I think as a kid too, you're so impressionable, you know? So if somebody calls you a ball hog or something like that, you know, you're like, you don't want your teammates to not like you or stuff like that. But then what are you going to do? Pass the ball all the time. Mm-hmm. It's like, nobody wants to see that. So true. It's, it's rampant, too. Izzy's coach is always telling her to play two-touch. I'm like, you do not play two-touch. <laughs> you dribble and you tell them yeah. that mom said it was fine. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, I'm not telling them that. I'm like, oh, no, yes, you are. Um, <clears throat> That's why coaches just shut up. I know. Exist. They just shut up on the <laughs> sidelines, really. What schools were were recruiting you? Everyone. For college. Everyone. Yeah. So why, why UNC? When you had all of these options. Um, I think it's because, um, I, it was the best soccer school I knew, you know, um, their history is incredible and I wanted to go there from a young age just because of its reputation for soccer. What is that like going into a program like that with all its history and, and so many (laughs) national championships? Yeah, it's amazing. I love it. I mean, I I feel like I've always um I've always played on teams that have winning traditions, um which is awesome. And with that, you know, comes like you know, that responsibility to keep winning and I really like that pressure. What was it like to play for Anson Dorrance? Um it's incredible. He's an incredible human and incredible coach and incredible motivator he's such a special person person and i think for anybody that has been coached 
by him, they know the kind of impact he can have on somebody's life. And that's the thing about him is he, he, he truly creates a family. Yeah. When you, when you talk to, I mean, obviously there's so many players who have come through at different times, but that is what always stands out to me is there's this bond that's, mm-hmm. and he's the glue of that, is, yeah. of all these different generations of players that still stay with the program, which is yeah. hard to do. Yeah, it's really hard. And I mean, I had a lot of talented people that I'd come in with or I'd been in school with that, you know, he doesn't, like, you either love Anson or, or you, like, hate him and you go somewhere else, you know. <laughs> he's not a person that is loved by all, right. you know, but for the people that that love him, they adore him, you know. And I think that, it's really cool, like, the Tar Heel bond between players, too, is because there's the connection, and he's that connection, you know, that, you know, a Tar Heel is, like, a certain kind of person, too, you know, and it's, like, it's almost like you grew up in the same house, you know, so there are certain expectations, and then, I I don't know, but, like, I love all the Tar Heels, you know? I mean, I guess I'm part of it, so I, I kind of have to say that, but, like, I love <laughs> having that kind of bond because, because Anson is the glue, you know? Yeah. You then graduate from college and you go first overall pick in the WPS draft. And that and that was I was looking at that year. Do you remember who went second, third and fourth? Yeah, I mean like that's another thing is like I was born in a year that there was just great soccer players. The WPS, which is the second iteration of course of the professional leagues folded a few years later in 2012. It's obviously heartbreaking because, you know, you never want kind of history to repeat itself in in a negative way like that. Um, But uh, it was during, like, a lot of moving parts with the national team, too. So it was hard to really feel the impact because there was still, like, another game to be played. You know, it wasn't like, oh, there's nothing left. Um, But for a lot of people, it was like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And... I don't think, I think I was still young enough in my career that I didn't know how bad something like that was. What was next for you? At that time, I think we had, we had the Olympics and then I went over to Paris. I went overseas. And that was a direct result of not having a league to play Mm -hmm. with in the United States. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What was France like? Amazing. I think um, it was it was definitely something that I knew was going to happen in my career because I had this dream of playing for a big European club. Um, I wanted to experience soccer in a different way. I think I actually was a little, I don't want to use the word bored because I think it's one of the worst words to ever say. And I think that's because my mom actually, like, if we ever as kids said, like, we're bored, she was like, how could you be bored in this world where there's, like, so much, you know? Um, And it's, like, it kind of shows, like, a lack of creativity in a way if you say you're bored because, like, I think, like, if you're a really, like, fun person, you can make something out of nothing. Um, But, like, I think at the time I was kind of, like, over this kind of, like, American style of soccer. You know, I felt like I had... You know, I was just like, you know, seeing the same things, feeling the same things, playing like in the same style. And and I wanted to be challenged. I wanted to be challenged, like not just, you know, 
soccer wise, like I wanted to be challenged as a person. Like I wanted to, I wanted to feel uncomfortable. I think I was showing up at the field and I was feeling too comfortable mm. and I wanted to feel uncomfortable and I wanted to learn a different side of soccer. I wanted to play with players that grew up passing the ball different, having different drills, um, saw the game differently. Um, and it was, it was a great opportunity for me to do it. And I think uh, looking back on it, I was so naive to it. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go play overseas, you know? And I think this naive kind of like part of my personality like helps me like kind of have this lightness where like I can make these kind of like decisions or whatever. And it's like, it does kind of have this like ease to it. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to go play overseas. And then when I got overseas, I was like, oh my gosh, like (laughs) I'm in another country. I don't speak the language of anyone. I don't know anyone here. Um, Like I don't have a phone. I think like the first week, like all my belongings got stolen. Like, and I was just like, wow, I'm here, you know? All your belongings got stolen? All my electronics. Like I was, when I first moved there, I was in like a hotel for the first week and you know, they totally played me and they just stole everything. Like Paris is like it like yeah, it's kinda sketchy like that. But um but yeah, so I I think it was really challenging and in the best way possible. Like I would wake up and like even something as simple as getting breakfast was a challenge, you know? <laughs> Having to ask for something was a challenge. Um the coach was talking. I had no idea what he was talking. Like I had to focus like a million times more in practice, you know, um, everything like the, the simplest things became such a challenge and it was so invigorating because it, I saw myself growing so quickly. It almost like was like I was back in school again as, as a, as a kid, you know, and, and I remember just like, actually this was the time that I probably couldn't sleep because I was like laying in bed and, and in my head, I was just like, I had French words just being like, cause there was so much stimulus that like I hadn't received in such a long time, you know, that like even for my brain that it was just like so cool. It was just such a cool feeling. It, it, I, I sense a, a theme with you, <laughs> right? Where for a lot of people, that type of challenge becomes overwhelming. Yeah. You're like, bring it. Yeah. I love this. Yeah, definitely. I've had all my stuff stolen. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know how to say, you know, enough French to even order breakfast. Yeah. But let's go. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's so true. What is that? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I really don't. It is such a healthy trait Uh, that you wish on all people, but it's not in everyone. Yeah. I don't know. It's just the way I am. You've never given it thought. No, I haven't. Have you realized that's that's you? I think some people have that are close to me have been able to like be like, you know, that's not like normal. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. What's normal, you know? What did what did playing in France teach you? It taught me a different level of professionalism. Like, I came back a a completely different football player, a completely different person, because there's this hardness there that I had never experienced in my career. Um, It's this professionalism that, you know, we don't find, I think, in, for for me personally, I never found in in 
women's soccer. I came back thinking that soccer in the U.S. was sorority soccer. That's why I started calling it because it's like everybody had to be friends. You know, you had to go and hang out with your teammates all the time. And in Paris, it's not like that at all. To me, it was cold. It was ruthless. It was uh, lacking encouragement. Hmm. It was, I, I, I always say this, in the U.S., somebody takes a shot and they miss, and somebody says, oh, good try. There's no good try in France. <laughs> it's L.A., come on, you know, like, you know, you can do better. And um, it was a completely different culture, a football culture for me. And, I mean, that's the cool thing about football is how the culture is kind of in the country dictates how it's then played out on the field. Mm -hmm. And I was very much like a fun-loving, you know, try everything, make a mistake, whatever. And I remember my football became more serious, you know. And I remember my um, one of my teammates was like, you know, when you make a dribble, you know, it's really great. But when you lose the ball, everyone else has to defend for you losing the ball. And I was kind of like, yeah. <laughs> but, like, I never thought about that before, you know? I, I would just think, like, oh, man, like, I, I messed up, like, trying something good, you know? But I never thought that there were consequences for other people when I did something. And it was an interesting perspective, you know, a perspective I had never been given before. And, and that's kind of, throughout my time there, what was really kind of powerful and um, just kind of... And then I think I took this level of professionalism and I, I realized, like, there was another level to what it meant to be a professional, to, that these people were showing up, that this was their job. Mm. You know, because for women's soccer players, like, I never really looked at it as my job because it never felt like a job because it never had that really intense professional feeling like that it mattered so much. But for some reason in this country, it felt like that, you know, and I think it's because it mimicked the men's football culture there. And there was no kind of difference. Like maybe, you know, the facilities are different, but the mentality wasn't different. Mm. And, and it was, it was incredible. The whole experience was incredible. Having spent that time there, how much will that help you? You think come summertime, and you're in France again. Yeah, um, I think it will help tremendously. What I'm so excited about is that my first um, World Cup was in Germany, and they threw a fantastic World Cup. I mean, the venues were awesome. The whole country knew what was going on. Traveling between the cities is relatively easy. Um, it was just like a very enjoyable experience, but it was a great first um first World Cup experience in terms of the expectation of a host country. And to be honest, then with with the very stark contrast in in Canada where we were dealing with, you know, a country that didn't have the culture of football, didn't have kind of that excitement, um, didn't have the close proximity, you know, we were traveling ev everywhere. It almost felt like we were like completely isolated. And then, you know, obviously when we came home, we felt a different experience, but it was yeah. very much an isolation. And I think almost having that, that feeling, that experience 
in Germany is a great kind of picture of what it will be like in France. And then having the familiarity of the country and the people and, and stuff like that, um, I think will be great. What did it mean to you to be called up to the U.S. Women's National Team? What was that moment like? To be honest, it wasn't like a... I mean, I wish it... I think it's supposed to sound like, oh my gosh, it was like the best thing ever. And like, I was so shocked, you know, but it's not, it wasn't ever like that for me in anything. It was just kind of like the natural progression of how, of how kind of my career was going. So for me, it wasn't ever like, whoa, except for the fact that really your first major tournament with the full women's national team Happens to be an Olympics. Yeah, that was cool. Your first Olympics. That was really cool because um, it was a interesting time with the national team because so I had my first call ups with the national team were in 2007, was leading into the World Cup, and obviously I wasn't selected for that team. Um, and then that team went to the World Cup, and it was a really difficult World Cup. There was a lot of things that happened. The team was kind of like a little bit in in a bad way. And, you know, Pia came in and I had my first opportunity to play in a world championship, which was incredible. <laughs> that was that was incredible. How so? So I have like so many great memories and like most of them include Lauren Chaney and Amy Rodriguez. Because we were, like, the young kids on that team. And we were so tight. And it was, when you talk about sisterhood, this was like a sisterhood. And um, they're just incredible women. And we really kind of internally encouraged each other, believed in each other. You know, we were the people that, like, if something happened in practice, we would kind of run to each other and we would, like, debrief each other on everything. But, like, we had each other's backs and it was kind of this, like, unspoken, you know, rooting for each other internally. And and we also were, like, great encouragers. So I think we brought, like, a really great energy to the team because, you know, we loved cheering for people. We didn't have, like, any ego about ourselves. Like, we just wanted to support the team. And, you know, if any of us got got minutes, we were, like, so stoked for each other and wanted the best for each other. And it was really special. And I remember after the semifinal of the Olympics and we moved all of our beds into this one single room in the Olympic village that we, that we had together. And we moved in together and I remember we were all laying there and we're like talking about things and, and A-Rod was just like, guys, no matter what, we're going home with a silver medal. (laughs) And I thought it was like, like looking back on it, it's such like a funny perspective to have, you know, because I mean, only in an Olympics can you say that kind of stuff. Because like when you're going into a World Cup final, you would never say something like that because all that matters is if you win. But like for an Olympics, it's different. And so it was such a funny thing to say now looking back on it because we were just so amped to be there, to be a part of that experience, to be a part of that group. Um, and that process, and and I remember how much, much that that meant. What was it like to put on at the full national team level now? Because you had done it, of course, for the youth side. But what was it like to put on the red, white, and blue jersey 
for the first time. It's special. I think um, it's it's funny because I still think it's really special. Like I still, when I put on my jersey, you know, it feels like a ritual. It feels like a, kind of like a sacred thing putting on the jersey. And I don't think I ever really took each of those times that I pulled it over my head for granted because every time you pull it over your head, you don't know if it's going to be like the last time you do it. And and that's what makes the team so special and so unique is that you can't take a second for granted on on it. And and yes, I've I've been on the team for a long time, but that doesn't mean that every time I put that jersey on that I was thinking that there was another one waiting for me to put on. I I never knew that. And I think because because it was always such a special moment representing the US, it it doesn't feel like it's it's been a long time because there there's just so many little little moments. How long did it take you to feel as if you you'd emerged, you belong in that group? Um That's a great question. I think it took I think it took having my my rocks taken from me. I think like I said Lauren Cheney and Amy Rodriguez when they weren't around all the time anymore, it was almost like I didn't have, you know, my older sister running out and, you know, beating someone up if they were, like, mean to me, you know? Like, I didn't have this kind of, like, security. And I think specifically when when Chain retired, you know, I realized, you know, that I I could do things on my own now. And I think it's a beautiful gift that, the generation kind of before you or the older players pass on to you is that you're, you're always kind of ready for it because they prepare you for it. After the 2015 World Cup, when we lost a really big portion of the team, that's when you kind of look around and you're like, it's just us now, you know? Um, it's It's still a great group, but it's not as many as we... We had before. Do you feel like the full Tobin Heath has emerged? No, not at all. I think I think a lot of that also comes to the fact that like I don't see this. I don't see this being the end of me. You know, I don't see like soccer being the end of me. I know for a lot of people, they're like they're like kind of like scared, or they they don't they don't know who they're going to be like outside of playing soccer or whatever and I don't have that like I I'm excited like I obviously am like so stoked and like and like doing this right now but like I'm excited for like whatever is next and I don't think there's like I don't think there's any distinction between me like as a soccer player and me like as a person I think it's just like one thing and and I'm not I'm not scared of of the unknown or whatever's next. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Walk us actually through that. Yeah. Final in 2011, 2011. So I always say this and it's, and this is what's so um, crazy about world cups is that nobody knows that you played in a final. People only know if you win a final in a world cup. So 2011, we, we played Japan and I actually think we're the better team in the game. 
And that's always like hard to sit with in a final, you know, and we go into PKs and I, and you know, you always hear a lot of times in PKs, it kind of goes the opposite way because PKs are just brutal. And, um, and at that time, you know, this was my first world cup and I was called upon to take a penalty and I missed it. And I'm not, I think this is just like, obviously it's just like you dream of taking a penalty in a world cup final, you know, like all of my dreams were like, whenever I was setting up a PK to practice, I'm like, this is the world cup final, you know? And I would ask for it again a million times, even if a million times I was going to miss it, I would ask for it again because like, that's the moment that I dreamed of, you know? And just because it didn't go in it, like, I'm not like, Yes, because, like, I want to win the World Cup because, you know, I think in that game we were deserving to win the World Cup. Like, I'm not, like, upset at myself, you know, for missing the shot. Like, it sucked, but then it was, like, kind of cool because if you then fast forward to to 2015 and we play, and like I always say this, you don't get a lot of redos in life. But it's like the story unfolded. We played Japan again in the World Cup. You know, we end up, like, coming out. And, like, I don't think we would have ever come out with that amount of, like, vigor. It wasn't anything soccer. Like, I think it was attitude that totally dominated that game. And going from, like, missing a PK in 2011 to then scoring a goal in 2015, I think it was just, like, a beautiful picture. And, like, those are the types of things that I always say you can't really see looking forward, but you can see looking back. And... You know, I'm not, like, a person to dwell on moments, but I love, like, moments that kind of, like, show kind of the beauty in, you know, failure and success and stuff like that. So I love those two, those two stories. And you recognize that right in the moment. In that game? In which game? In, in the 2015 yeah. I don't know when I recognized it, to be honest. Probably when I was just... Pricing PKs again. <laughs> Stewing on life. <laughs> when you're standing on the top of that podium as a World Cup champion, because you already had two Olympic gold medals, but now you're a World Cup champion. How, how is that different? It's completely different. You know, I, I always say for, for anybody um, that you talk to in America, you're like, oh, yeah, like I went to like the Olympics or whatever. They're like... They think the Olympics are so cool. Americans think the Olympics are so cool. But for any football player, like, and any, like, buddy else outside the U.S., like, it's the World Cup. And and that's what's, like, so funny is that even when, like, people talk about you, they're like, oh, two Olympic gold medals. And, and I love them. Like, I think it's really cool and stuff. But, like, there is nothing. I would trade in everything for a World Cup. And it, it's so incredible. I mean, 2015, we did that. But it... It's like anything. I I don't ever... I'm not like, oh, cool. Like, that's it. You know, like, I'm like, all right, like, here we go. What's the next thing? You know, I'm not like... Now I can check that off the list. I'm I'm not... Well, first off, I'm not a list person, but... (laughs) (laughs) But also, I'm just... I, I don't know. There's no kind of, like, finish... Finish for me. How has your role changed now as this KG veteran? <laughs> yeah, it's different. I mean, to me, like, I love it. I I love encouraging the next generation. I love 
empowering them. I want them to be great. You know, like I want the team to be great. I think I'm, I'm incredibly like invested in that. Um, and I, I like the responsibility. I like because I had, you know, these awesome players that, you know, when a hard time came during a game, you know, you kind of always like look to those players and you're like, well, they've been here before, so they'll know what to do. You know, like <laughs> I'll just keep playing and they can, you know, really make something happen. And I kind of, I love having that responsibility, like of taking care of the team being like, because, you know, I'm so fortunate. I have experienced so much that like, I do feel comfortable in, in these moments, you know, and, and I hope to be able to lift, you know, the team when they need a lift, you know, bring a good perspective or a good attitude to a situation. Uh, Your style of play is beyond so fun to watch. It's, it's different than, what most women in the game play, especially here in the United States. Where does that come from? I think it comes from kind of my obsession with the ball and just my love of the game. I think I always wanted to play kind of this stylistic, artistic, effective game. I I always wanted football to be cool. I wanted it to look cool. I wanted to do something different that's like, whoa, that was awesome, you know? Because that's the way that I see, like, inspiring people. It's like I want to be an entertainer on the field because that's what I enjoy watching in football, players that kind of do things a little bit different, that can impact the way the game in a special way. And that's what what I want to bring to the game. And that's also the way that I, I see changing kind of like the culture of soccer in America is just uh, by inspiring, you know, something a little bit different. When you see like a gif of you in, or a, a riff of you doing all these different moves on, on social media, when you do check it. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. Cause it's like, that's what I like to watch other players do. You know, like if, if I'm on Instagram, I'm just watching, you know, clips of people, you know, doing awesome things like that. So I always say it's like cool to be, it's cool to be doing something that you also enjoy watching in other people. What are you looking forward to the most this summer? Uh, This summer, I'm looking forward to the challenge. I'm looking forward. I mean, you practice, you know, for however long, for like these big moments and like I'm just excited to feel a big moment. Like I love that. You know, it's like what you work so hard for is to just like feel that intensity and you can't get that anywhere else. You can't replicate it. You know, you got to wait four years for it. And, and I don't know. I just love that expectation. I think that's kind of why, um, segue. I like, like, the lead up to games, you know, like game days are like my favorite time ever. I love playing in like a seven o'clock game because I love just like that feeling of like anticipation before a game. Like I love kind of just like sitting in it and just like, I don't, I love just relaxing the whole entire day. And I have no, like, I, I don't have any like, Oh, I hope the game gets here or anything like that. I just like love that kind of like anticipation and just like feeling that. You were interviewed, actually, as a member of the Under-17 Youth National Team, and the question posed to you, this is so great, I found this recently, what are your soccer goals, is what they asked you, and your reply as an Under-17 team 
member was probably the same as any other girl wants to make the full team and play in a women's world cup or Olympics. <laughs> so you're now two world cups and three Olympics later. What are now your soccer goals? I think they're pretty much the same <laughs> to just do it again. Um, yeah, I, I think, you know, when you've done something for yourself, then you almost, you know, you want to do it for others more you know i want this group to have a world cup championship you know i want that for them you know i want that for for the whole of the u.s women's national team i want to continue that that tradition so i i always say like you you get so you give you know and i feel like i've i've been given so much in my life that i just feel like i just have so much to, to give, you know, and, and that's, that's kind of where I feel like I'm at in my career. You know, I want other people to have, you know, gold medals. I want other people to have world cups. All right. That was a lot of the first interview we did with Tobin. And now we're going to switch to a second interview. I also did in Los Angeles, another sit down with Tobin Heath. Tobin, there was a lawsuit that was filed by you and your teammates, of course. Why did you decide to take part in it? Well, it obviously wasn't an overnight decision. I mean, it's been a long time that we've been fighting for these things as a collective unit. Um, I think within the last couple years, we've been empowered in a lot of ways. Um, and I think we haven't necessarily seen the change that we would want to see. And I think together as a group, this is something that we're passionate about and that we feel authentically um, we can stand up and fight for what's right. I think a lot of times people in these situations they're very isolated and for us we're a team we're a unit and we have the opportunity to use our voices collectively to stand for something much greater than ourselves where is your take on where u.s soccer stands with gender equity i think it can be confusing at times um especially because people always want to compare in sports this comparison between men and women and i think for ourselves it's it's a matter of respect um, and it's a matter of treating us and compensating us in the way that we deserve based on a number of things but um, mainly our value and our success and what we mean to U.S. soccer as, as a team. In what ways would you say the U.S. women's team is treated differently than the U.S. men's team? Um, I don't think I would want to so much go into the differences of, of how we're treated because there's, they're very different landscapes, um, in general. But I think that the biggest difference, I think, is we need overinvestment in a way because we've been so underinvested in for so long that people want to say, well, oh, now all of a sudden you're being treated equally or, or whatever. But if we go back a few years, we've been so underinvested in that I think in, in general, like I think to myself, if we had the opportunities, where would we be? You know, and I think people are always trying to compare like, oh, you don't have um, the amount of money in the sport or you don't have the viewership or this or this. And it's like, but imagine what we could have if we were given the same opportunity. And it's a lot more than just a paycheck. Definitely. Of course. Yeah. So maybe give some perspective on the other things you're fighting for beyond the paycheck. 
Yeah, beyond beyond the paycheck, I think, like I said, is is about respect. Um, and I think it's about creating more opportunity for the future. Um, and I think a lot of what we're doing, you know, I'm never going to see, similar to a lot of what you did, I now get to see. And I think for us, we need to continue that legacy of doing more, pushing more, not for ourselves, not for what we're going to get tomorrow, but for the future of the sport and for the future of women. Some would argue, as you pointed out, that the men bring in more money or they bring in more viewership. What do you say to that argument? It's no comparison. You can't compare the two. It's um, it if it's all about investment. And if you take initial investment, it's just the starting points are so vastly different. Um, so people can say what what they want, but the landscapes are so different between the two that the comparison is very difficult. And I think that's why it is a hard thing um, for people to understand or to because everybody wants it to be black and white. And quite frankly, it's not. And so much of um, these these issues are so deeply rooted in society that we don't even understand why they can't be compared because it's. It's almost like we've just been taught that this type of behavior should be acceptable, that that we should deserve less than what we're worth, or that we should be grateful for what has been given. And um, I think for so long we've almost believed that lie, and it's been an incredible um, few years of just empowering and uplifting each other, and for other people to come alongside us to support us. It's been a tremendous, I think, team and and group effort what message do you think this sends to other women in sports i hope the message is of support and understanding that we are deserving you know we are valuable to society we're equally as valuable um that we don't deserve the types of treatments or the types of um, limitations that society has put on. And I have seen not only um, during this fight, it's just been incredible because people think that we're kind of like leading the way, but it, it's really this kind of incredible push that is helping us from so many people in so many different fields that have experienced the same type of thing that are either drawing inspiration from what we're doing, but we're just taking um, the inspiration from everyone and hoping to represent them well. That courage is contagious, though, don't you think? It's very contagious, and I think if I've learned anything about this team is that the determination of this team is unstoppable. Why did you choose to tell your story with us? That's a great question. I think I sometimes ask myself that even like during this process. Because um, <laughs> it's a lot of interviews. Yeah, it, it has been like a lot for me. Um, <laughs> I think it comes down to, I think I always wanted to be like looked at as a footballer and not put through like the lenses of various you know, people or sponsors and stuff like that telling me who I am. And um, for me, uh, growing up, watching ESPN, seeing, you know, my heroes and athletes that I wanted to be um, was so cool. And we recently did this this really cool thing with Nike where we got to put 
you know, names of, of women on, on our backs. And it was very difficult for me. Um, and I realized in that difficulty of me finding someone to put on my back, finding a female role model to put on my back, that that was a problem. Mm. You know, when you speak of the greatest in anything, you know, we always lead with men. Always. And it's what we're taught at a young age. You know, of course, they'll throw in a female every once in a while. But it wasn't enough of that for me. And then I realized in in doing this as well, all the people that I saw on TV, they were all men. All the heroes, athletes, the great ones that would do something like this, they were all men. And as much as, like, I hate being in front of a camera or saying, like, hey, like, this is me or promoting something that I don't even believe in, I thought this was an authentic way for me to kind of be exactly what I I should have had when I was younger, Mm. you know, is Mm. someone to watch that wasn't a man, you know, on a sports channel. That could be inspiring as well. Yeah. So I'll ask you that question again that I asked you in your home. What do you want the world to understand about you? I don't think I I really so much want the world to understand me. (laughs) (laughs) But they will know your story. But I would love to share my story or just a piece of me with the world in a way that somebody would be inspired to be themselves or to just see some kind of positive female role model that's doing something that's breaking some kind of barrier that's that's never been seen before and you know i think i've very much tried to stay true to who i am so that when i do tell my story it is me and it's not doing something that somebody's telling me i have to do because in order to do it it's going to be good for me or um, or because I'm supposed to look or sound this kind of way. Um, so I hope that in some small way it's authentic. The back of your jersey was Doris Burke? Yep. I was trying to remember. I'm like, I think it was Burke. Yeah. It's a great she one. reached out to me. It was really cool. We had such a great conversation. What'd she say? She was moved actually she was we both I think I mean I was like tearing up and kind of crying and um and it was really cool because she said that she was having a conversation with her daughter and she was saying you know I I don't know I don't know if I'm even supposed to share this but she was like oh I um I don't know if what I'm doing is like impactful enough like Maybe I should get back into coaching where you can really see, like, that what you're doing is, like, changing people's lives. And I I could have been Synchro Destiny or something like that, our phone call, because I think it was exactly what she needed to hear in the way that, like, what she is doing, although it might seem... Um, thankless or not even thankless. It might seem like she's just been running down a lane by herself for so long, um, paving a way, which I'm sure becomes like so lonely in, in certain fields to be doing it as the only woman or to be breaking these boundaries by yourself. 
I'm thankful that I get to do it with the team. But that she needed to hear that that in itself was such a big inspiration to me. And I think it was cool because me giving that to her and what she had given to me, I realized that we need to speak more to others, you know, um, in what they're doing. Because, like I said before, the, the power is the team. You know, the power is the community. And people might be, you know, breaking barriers alone and by themselves. But then when they come into a team, it just becomes so much more powerful. And I think that's what this movement has shown is that, like, the power of of people with the same same type of dreams and same type of um, – they have the same respect for, for themselves and what they're doing. And the power of telling your story. Yeah, power of telling your story. Thanks for sharing it with us. Thank you. Ah, the power of telling a story. We didn't get the Doris Burke history until the very last interview we did with Tobin, um, which I found fascinating in that she had such a hard time picking a female role model and even finding one that she wanted to put on the back of her jersey that she came to this realization of, ah, this should not be this hard to find someone that I want to emulate or others should emulate. And we need to tell more stories of women and inspire more girls and young women in that way. And that, um, that was super powerful to me because she is such a private person. She does not seek any of that. And yet she realized the power of telling her story. And she was kind enough to share it with us, which was super cool. What was your takeaway, Lynn? Tobin had a lot of great insights and is so thoughtful. There was one thing she said that I really liked, and it was, you get so you can give. And I thought that was just a really beautiful sentiment. All right. Questions permitted. Julie, since you really need to get to the airport, we're just going to do one question this week. And this one comes from at Tammy Sarin. Her question is, what is your favorite part of working for ESPN? Mm, Good question, Tammy. Oh, there are a lot of favorite parts. I get to travel the world. I get to go to France for a month. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, I get it. But mostly I love that you get to meet and interview fascinating people. So curious to hear people's stories and take a deeper dive as we did with Tobin into what makes them tick. It's what I love about doing podcasts as well. We are able to do the podcast because of ESPN. So I think my favorite part is all the super interesting people you meet. What's your favorite part, Lynn? I totally agree with that. The people, people we get to, get to meet along the way. And then also the people we get to work with at ESPN. There's a lot of good people and getting to work with you, Julie. Definitely one of my favorite parts of working for ESPN. She has to say it. All right. That does it for us in our first of four bonus episodes. Are we allowed to tell them who the other three are? Definitely. Let's do it. All right. So we got Crystal Dunn, who's going to be dropping on Wednesday. Then star on the U.S. women's soccer team as well. Then we're going to do a little flashback to some 99er days. We've got Brandy Chastain with Christine Lilly on our third podcast. And to wrap things up, the great Brianna Scurry from that 1999 World Cup winning team as well. 
having a fascinating conversation with her. So those are our four bonus podcasts that are going to be dropping all during Women's World Cup. Enjoy the World Cup, party people. That does it for us. We want to hear from you. Let us know your takeaways, questions. We love feedback. So hit us up on social media. I'm at Julie Fowdy on Twitter and Instagram. Hashtag it. Laughter permitted. Lynn is at Lynn Olzawi. I still don't know how to spell her last name, and I've known her for four years. So, sorry, Lynn. <laughs> There's a lot of consonants in it. That's all I know. Uh, consonants. Is that how you say that? Consonants. Con- no. Consonants. Con- I said it right. Okay. As we close the show, a big thanks to Kate Diaz, a Julie Foundy Sports Leadership Academy alum, for our awesome theme music, which she wrote and composed. And we hope you enjoyed listening. If you like what you hear, please subscribe. We hear it's important. And rate the podcast because every subscription counts, I'm told. And as always, kids, remember, sing it with us. Laughter Laughter permitted. permitted. I'm like, I don't know. What's normal, you know? All right. Thanks for taking the time to listen. And to our dope village, one last shout out to Ally. Because the fact is only 8% of people trust their banks. And yet most of us never bother looking elsewhere. And as women, money is something we should be thinking about because get this, on average, women working full-time make 80 cents for every dollar her male counterpart makes. And money means having options, options to start a business, to buy a house, save for retirement, create a legacy. The list goes on and on. Ally knows you deserve better and their mission is to be just that. So look them up. Ask your friends, ask your teammates, ask a stranger, check out the online reviews, or call them yourself, right? When you call Ally, you actually get to talk to a real person. Who does that nowadays and 24-7, even on weekends and holidays? You don't have to keep screaming into the phone. Representative! For more information, visit ally.com, A-L-L-Y.com. Ally Bank, member FDIC.